Good morning, friends. Um, it's almost Christmas, and I've been thinking about a number of different things, and I thought today I'd just share with you uh, something from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, said this about 800 years before Jesus ever came into this world. He said, for, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called, and here goes God calling his son names, and here are the names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, each one of these names has incredible significance as to the character and role Jesus plays in this thing called life. This is who God sent to us. It's Jesus, and this is what he's going to do, that is, if we'll listen to him. So today, I want to just look at Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful in this passage comes from the Hebrew word pele incomprehensible. It's too wonderful for words. Now listen, when we get to know Jesus, it will cause us to be full of wonder. The word is much weightier than the way it's used in our conversation today. You say things are wonderful. Uh, you know, it was a wonderful meal. It was a wonderful show, a wonderful date. Well, actually, what we're saying is that it was pleasant or lovely or fun. What we're really saying is, man, that was really good. But wonderful here means so much more. It means to be full of awe and wonder. It's saying Jesus is wonderful in a way that is boggling to the mind. Now, Jesus demonstrated his wonderfulness in various ways when he was on earth, beginning with his conception in the womb of a virgin. He showed he is the wonderful one in his power to heal. He showed he's the wonderful one in amazing teaching. Jesus taught many wonderful things that are counterintuitive to the human mind. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who are sad and come to me, for I'll heal them in a way that can't be explained. He said, Rejoice and be glad in persecution, because I'll give you strength and wisdom beyond comprehension. He says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You know, Jesus kind of is awe-inspiring and superior to any other kind, for he's perfect in every way. I mean, his perfect life that's talked about in Hebrews and his resurrection from the dead in Mark 16. I mean, wonderful. Wonderful is something beyond our comprehension, that is, until we experience it personally. The second part of Jesus' title is the word counselor. Now, the Hebrew word here is yaetz, to advise, to consult, to guide. In ancient Israel, a counselor was portrayed as a wise king, such as Solomon, giving guidance to his people. Now, Isaiah uses this word again in chapter 28, verse 29, to describe the Lord. <clears throat> He said, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So Jesus is a wise counselor. The Apostle John described Jesus' wisdom this way in chapter 225 of his gospel. Jesus did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. He was and is saying Jesus is able to advise his people thoroughly because he's qualified in ways no human counselor is. Paul, having encountered Jesus, said this in Colossians 2.3, In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that's including the knowledge of all human nature. And Jesus always knows what we're going through, and he always knows the right course of action. See, the Bible goes on to say that not only is he wise in guidance, but he gives, that he gives, but also that he knows everything we're going through. We're told in Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, 
just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Christ's position is our wonderful counselor. It means we can trust him to listen to our problems and guide us in the right direction. That's why Jesus tells us constantly pray because he's listening and has already been there and done that and knows the answer. We can be certain that he has our best interests at heart because he loves us and his love is so wide and deep and wonderful that we cannot fully understand it. Jesus, the wonderful counselor. And why did God send him? Well, it's really pretty easy to heal the sick. I mean, he comes for the sick. I mean, once Jesus was challenged by a bunch of church people why he was hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors, and in Luke 5, Jesus answered, he said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, let me ask you something. Is anybody sick? I mean, actually, we're all in some area, if we'll be honest about it. But where are you sick? Maybe heart sick, emotionally sick, maybe physically sick, maybe relationally, maybe financially, maybe addicted to something. Whatever it is, he says, I have come to heal that hurt. So, friends, where are you sick? Jesus, the wonderful counselor, has come to heal the sick. Healing is found in his wings, scripture says. Healing is found in his heart. Healing is found in his words. The question is, how do you get healing from the wonderful counselor? Well, God shows us through the life of Jesus and those he healed how to receive that healing counsel. And this is how it happens. First, I must get real with myself and the wonderful counselor. Throughout Jesus' journey on this earth, he healed many people of many things, but it always begins when they got real about their own illness. It's when they played no more games with themselves or him. A great example is the Samaritan woman he encountered at the well. You might remember a Samaritan woman, a woman that Jews were not supposed to talk to, but the wonderful counselor did. She'd gone to get water in the heat of the day so she could avoid all the others in her town. Why? Because she slept around. She'd already had four husbands and was shacked up with a guy out of wedlock when she encounters Jesus. She was thirsty for water, but actually she was thirsty for so much more. She was thirsty to be loved, to be accepted. Yet she was an adulterer, a whore, a prostitute maybe, an outcast, all all names she was wearing. Yet when Jesus encountered her, he went to where she was, and then he asked her a question. This is in John 4, 16 and 17. Jesus said, go and get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. She got real with this one named Jesus. He said, you're right, you have been honest with me and yourself. And yet Jesus would end up calling her daughter, sister. No more games, but truth. Now, I love this about Jesus. He doesn't care where we are but where he wants us to be. Jesus is still more interested in our future than our past. You know, I've come to understand that there are two people we really cannot lie to, and that's ourselves and our Lord Jesus. I mean, you could lie to me all day. You could manipulate me and many others, but when, when you're alone, you know the truth, and so does he. But see, when we get honest with him, he says, I'm here to forgive and restore that which is lost. And then he counsels us on the way out. He says, go and sin no more. In Psalm 55, God tells us, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. So the first step in finding healing and guidance beyond our understanding is when we get real with ourselves and with him. 
The second thing is we must listen to the counselor's voice. I mean, God demonstrated how important this is when Jesus and three of his disciples had gone up on a mountain. While there, Jesus actually transformed right in front of them into what he looks like in heaven. When he did, he spoke to Elijah and Moses. I tell you, the three disciples were freaked out. I mean, they were in awe at this awful, wonderful sight. Then it says in Mark 9, 7, A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. I've come to understand that oftentimes we listen to reply instead of listening to understand. The disciples in this moment were talking about what they should do. They said, let's build a booth to hang out here and let's stay here in this wonderful moment. But God was saying, stop thinking and start listening. I have much more for you to do, which is another thing. When Jesus speaks to us, it always leads us to where and what he wants us to do with our lives. And listen, as we do, we begin to understand him more and more. Those who said yes to Jesus begin to hear him more and more. That's because we are listening to understand instead of defend of defending what we want or have some kind of answer. And then Jesus makes this incredible promise in John 10:27. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. But then the question comes up, how does this counselor speak to me? Well, when you look in the Bible, he shows us how he has done it in the past and is still doing it today. In fact, I, I could point out that Jesus counsels us in at least four ways. 2 Timothy 3.16 says he speaks through us through the Bible. See, the Bible is just Jesus' love letter to us. He's put down much of his wisdom in print. It's our guidebook for life. It shows us the right steps to take, and that's why we need to read God's word every day to study the biblical narrative. If we're not having a daily quiet time and reading the Bible, God is getting a busy signal when he wants to speak to us. We have to keep a constant connection because God's will is found in God's word. And second, in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, it says Jesus speaks to us through teachers and counselors. I mean, have you ever been in a church service and felt like what I or another pastor was saying was a direct message from God to you? I mean, there's no way I or any other teacher could figure out exactly what to say to meet every need, but God knows. So before every message I ever preach, I pray, God, you know the people and the needs out there. Give me the right things to say. And somehow, in the way only he can, God uses my teaching and the teaching of other pastors to meet the needs of people who are listening. And third, Jesus speaks to us through impressions. You can read about that in Ephesians 4.30. Now, there are two extremes to this. One extreme is the rationalist who believes no impression can be from God, that it always has to be logical. At the other extreme is the mystical belief that every impression is from God. Now, we need to get in the middle and realize that every impression has to match God's word. When we feel prompted or heartbroken over a decision, we need to check it out against God's word. Because God will never prompt us to do something that contradicts what he's already said. And then there's a fourth way. Jesus speaks to us through our circumstances. Acts 16.6 If you're going to live a life of significance, God's got to make constant course corrections. And one of the things he uses to do that is circumstances that come into our lives. When we start to listen to God through our circumstances, impressions, teachers of the Bible, sometimes he's going to lead us in ways that we don't understand. I just say hang in there. Following God is not always easy, but it will reap more blessing in our life than we can ever imagine. Okay, so we have to get real, then we have to listen, not talk, listen. And then third, we must do what the counselor tells us to do. 
See, I've come to understand that when Christ speaks to us, we can either grasp it or cast it. But we can't do nothing. And if we don't grasp it, then we are casting it. And by the way, it's an all-in thing that we see so often. You know, we're here, counselor, but there are things we don't like, so we ignore it and say that's not in him. I just like it. it is like taking the Bible and either attempt to rewrite it to fit us or we tear it out like it's not there at all. A great example of was that of a guy Jesus encountered while walking the earth. He was a very religious guy, highly thought of. People sought him out for help and counsel. He was known as the rich young ruler. He recognized Jesus was truly from God. So he asked him, how do I get to heaven with God? Now, Jesus replied, don't kill or steal or cheat on your wife. Treat people fairly, be honest, be a good employer. And the young ruler responded in Mark 10, 20, Teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. You see, Jesus said, great, I I love you for how you're treating people. But then Jesus nailed him at his deepest issue. He goes on to say, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, this guy had one issue that he did not want to give up. He worshipped his stuff more than God. The young guy was saying, God, if you, God, you can have everything else except for this. See, he missed the first thing that we're to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and physical strength, which meant his stuff. But we never do that, do we? You see, it was a control issue. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life to the fullest, not broke, addicted, hurting, sorrowful, desperate. No, to the full. He said, to all who are weary, come to me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But we need to give up control. So many of us say, I hope he is the wonderful counselor and coach. No, he is the wonderful counselor and friend. The real question is, will we listen? So I ask you, friends, why won't you let Jesus take control? After all, the wonderful counselor has come. God bless. See the vision. Live the mission. Feel the passion.